Welcome to Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I'm Shanda Sung, and I'm a comedian. And I'm Ashley Morgan, and I'm a farmer. We've been best friends since we were nine years old. Welcome to our show, where we teach each other all kinds of things that cover our wide range of knowledge and interests. And today's episode is about wealth. Meaning you're going to give me some wealth? <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> hey, be a friend. We're talking Share. money. We're talking cheddar. We're talking dollar bills. Talking fat stacks. Mo money, mo problems. Talking racks on racks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that we know a lot about. Uh, Fabulously wealthy. Mm, yeah. Driver's side window in my van doesn't roll down, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was wealthy and then I got animals. <laughs> now oh, yeah. I am poor again. <laughs> you are you are rich in animals. Yes. Yeah. What really dumb thing would you buy if you won the lottery? Oh, man. You know, I've really never had money. Not, yeah. not wealthy. I've been comfortable. I've always kind of yeah. lived within my means. And I think if I had, if I won the lottery, millions and millions of dollars, and I had an allowance of like $20,000 a month that I was allowed to spend. Yeah. It'd be fun for like six months because I would buy probably expensive things. But then after a yeah. while, I'd be like, now what? Now what do I buy? <laughs> I can't spend $20,000 a month every month. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. I'm stressed out by how much I have to spend. <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I've thought about that before. Like, you know, if money means nothing and you can just buy endlessly, yeah. then nothing means anything. And then suddenly you're surrounded by all this stuff and you're like, what even is any of this? I would probably end up giving a lot of money away to charity. And you want to know something that's kind mm -hmm. of interesting that I haven't really assessed until just now on the fly while we're talking <laughs> is that when I was at my brokest, when yeah. I was a new flight attendant living in Indianapolis, making 20 grand a year living by myself or maybe had a roommate who was working a menial job as well. I gave to charity a lot. I gave to whatever those boxes that give your change here or yeah, donate yeah. to this. And I would donate to St. Jude. I'd write them checks. And it wasn't a lot, but I still gave money. And then now that I'm my net worth is a little higher. I'm living in a nice house. We own some land. I'm married to a man with a good job. Now that I have a little bit of money, like I still do a little, but not proportionate to what proportion I have now. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like a, with more money came more stuff and more bills. Yeah. And so it's almost like I have the same amount of disposable money that I did yeah. when I was broke, which is weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I get that. And you're not alone if it makes you feel better, because I do remember reading an article that said the, the majority of people who give to charity are like lower middle class, like just above the poverty line. Yeah. And those are the people who tend to be most generous. Yeah. And so that's interesting because I think that you're right. That's like. As you move within that kind of 
lower middle class bracket as you move up, the things that you have increase, but the freed up money, the disposable income doesn't a lot. And there for a while, I didn't carry cash. So to give change, to throw a dollar in, I didn't have it. I put everything on cards. And now instead of giving to charity, I more of have become more of like a really big tipper. Yeah. <laughs> so the service industry, especially because I worked in the service industry, I've been a waitress yeah. on and off throughout the years that I was like, yeah, this sucks. I know it. Here's <laughs> here's how I'm using my little bit extra money is I'm giving yeah. it to the servers that. <laughs> One thing I don't do is give to any charity at the cash register. I don't like anymore. Any of them. I'm like, no, I am not subsidizing your tax break. I was going to say, I've heard that's Screw a little you. bit of a scam. <laughs> it yeah. is. Yeah. Like they get to give all this money. They get the tax benefit for that. And they get to look so great and so generous. But it's not their money. Yeah. And I will like proudly do it. They're like, do you want to round up? And I'm like, no. Absolutely I do not. not. I'm not like, oh, not today. I'm like, no. I'm not. I will not. Because I will give my money elsewhere. I yeah. will give to, I have a few organizations that I give to, you know, anytime I've got a little extra money laying around. And then I do have like, on your Amazon shopping and your Kroger shopping, you can set it up so that those will benefit some agencies, mm-hmm. like a percentage of what you spend. And I do do that. But yeah, anytime it's at the cash register, I, I like getting indignant about it. Yeah. Like, like, no, I refuse. I will not. <laughs> You're not taking me in on this. <laughs> One of the programs that I've given to a lot throughout the years is St. Jude Children's Hospital. Yeah. And I actually have a story about them. When I was little, I had... You've got to be up to your ass in return address stickers. I <laughs> I am. <laughs> I absolutely am. <laughs> So when I was little, I had cancer and it just so happened that it was when my dad was between jobs. Well, not between jobs. He went from one job where the insurance only lasted 60 days to a new job where the insurance didn't kick in until 90 days. So there was a Uh. 30-day window that he did not have insurance. And it was just fingers crossed, nobody get hurt. Lo and behold, his only child gets cancer and has to to have surgery and radiation and chemo and the whole nine. Oh, that's, oh my gosh. Like, that's such an added panic mode. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's bad enough to look at your child and see that they're ill and be so worried about them in that way. But then you have to think about money, too, and how bad that timing is. Like, what a nightmare. Yes. And (sighs) my parents were very young. They were... Yeah. Young parents, just bought a house, just started new jobs. We don't come from any kind of money, so there was no family to help with medical bills. And a nurse overheard the story. I don't know if she overheard my dad talking to my grandma of like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. We just racked up tens of thousands of dollars of medical bills, and I don't know how we're going to pay for it. And a nurse contacted St. Jude Children's Hospital, told the story, and they ended up covering most, if not all, of our medical bills. That's so great. And that so had to have been such a relief. I owe St. Jude in donations yes. <laughs> a there lot of money. 
There you go. Pay that back. Yeah. Just a little bit at a time. And what's funny is for the longest time, I was giving to St. Jude Children's Hospital not knowing that story. And it wasn't until I was talking with my mom one time of like, oh, yeah, I make donations to St. Jude. She's like, oh, by the way, here's the story with that. So good job for paying them back. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you knew. Somehow I knew. But yeah. if I had a lot of money to spend Yes, I would make donations, but one of the things that I would do is I would build a cat sanctuary in every single county. <laughs> There's always dog rescues and all yeah. sorts of breed specific rescues, but then also the dog pound and all these humane societies that, yes, they take in cats, but I want to build a cat specific shelter. Yeah. Cat and small animal. Anything but dogs. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> no dogs allowed. No dogs allowed. Y'all have enough places you can go. <laughs> this is for these are for the odd animals that have no other place to go. But cats mostly, yeah. I would love to build a bunch of different cat shelters, sanctuaries, yeah. whatever you want to call them, and work on that because you know poor kitties just get turned out and left to their own yeah. devices a lot of times, and that's that's rough. Or just get dumped in the country. <laughs> Yeah. And then end up at your house? No, actually. And that's <laughs> kind of some bullshit because for the longest time, I wanted cats. I needed some barn cats. And yeah. I was like, I'll just wait. I'll just wait until one comes up to my house because I live out in the country. People drop them off all the time. Nope. For like five or six years, <laughs> no cats came around my area. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? You got to come to Bloomington and do some cat napping because the neighborhoods are overrun. My friend Michelle just can't stop. I'm like, you, can't, you don't need any more cats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's going to give me a hard time for that. But yeah, it's true. I mean, the neighborhoods, there are always like neighborhood cats that yes. just wander around. We've got at least two that I see. And I mean, they're fat and happy, but they clearly like they do not want you to come near them. They're just running through the neighborhood. So we should trap them, take them out to your barn. Yes, they'll, I'll take all the kitties. They'll fuck some shit up. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's what I would do if I had a lot of money. I'd give to St. Jude. I'd, I think I'd want to pick like one good charity in each realm that I'm excited about, you know, saving cats, yeah. sick little kids. I'm not excited about sick little kids. I'm not <laughs> glad they're sick. I'm just saying they are already sick. I would be excited to help them. <laughs> yeah. And that would yeah. be nice. That's that's the nice thing about having disposable wealth, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had an obscene amount of money where I didn't have to worry about it ever again. I could buy all the shit that I wanted and then also still have more to give. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And not just for the I, tax write-offs because <laughs> I genuinely wanted to give money. So you can, you want to be rich enough to be selfish and selfless at the same time. Bingo. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to buy all the things I want. I want a big, crazy, ridiculous art bee. I want some freaking jet skis. I want a boat. And I want a nice house. Not a huge house. Like, I don't want no. seven bedrooms and five bathrooms. I am not interested in that because I will fill it with crap that I don't want. Yeah. Like, I would be fine with enough bedrooms for everybody in this family and a guest room and a den <laughs> and yes. a living room and like we have three bathrooms that's plenty i don't want to clean any more than that we don't need it but yeah like just a good sized house that does not have problems 
because <laughs> you know every house has those problems. And then I can store all my toys somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like my main thing here is that I currently work for and worked for them full time previously. Now it's part time, a, a not for profit, a substance abuse treatment center. Mm-hmm. And then also I volunteered as a CASA. And there is a food pantry here nearby that was started by a Girl Scout troop like 20 years ago. And remind me what a CASA is. A CASA is a court-appointed special advocate. So any children who are removed from their family by DCS. So DCS is there to represent the family as a whole. And then lawyers are there to represent the parents or DCS. But a CASA is there to represent strictly the children. And Mm -hmm. so you meet with the children, you meet with their parents, you are involved in the case, just kind of making sure that somebody is there to be like, what about the kids? And I mean, everything is about the kids, but it's easy to get distracted about like, these are the things that the parents need. And a CASA is the child's representative in court. Mm -hmm. So I went to court and I would sit and they would ask me, how do you feel about this? Do you think that it would be good for the kids to go back to their parents? Do you think we need more time? What is your opinion? So I was like a fully dispatched, like Mm. it was heavy. Yeah. And these cases last. I did it for three years and I had two cases because the cases last so long. It's a pretty intense job. And every case is required by law to have a CASA. And so the shortage of CASAs is slowing up DCS, which is already a very slow process even further. Mm. So there's a huge need for it. And that was a volunteer position? Totally volunteer. And it it was very intense, but it got to the point where I wasn't able to go to like meetings during the day or court during the day very easily. So especially when we had our third kid, I was like, I can't. This is too much of a commitment for me now. But once everybody's in school, I'd like to go back and do it again. Yeah. That's another thing that an excess amount of money allows you to do is now you don't have to work. You have a lot of free time to pursue your passions and volunteer places because you don't need the money. So it's not like it's a job. Right. And you don't have a job. You have to go because you have to get a paycheck to pay your bills. Like you have that money. It frees up not only your burdens to a certain extent, but then also your time. You get a lot of your time back. You can pay for your own time. Like, you you know, you can spend it how you want. You don't have to sell your time to somebody else. Yeah. So we would be great at being rich is what we're saying. So if anybody wants to throw us a million, two million, (laughs) really any amount of money. You know what? Better make it a nice round, even hundred million. I think, yeah, it's a good... That's a good, comfortable number. That's a nice round number. Looks good on paper. <laughs> Let's just do that. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the 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 cats and the babies of America will be saved. Yes, by Ashley and Shanda. <laughs> yeah, single handedly, we're gonna fix all the problems in the world. Yeah, obviously, it's more complicated than that. And that and getting a huge sum of money, really, all you have to do is watch like any show about lottery winners. Oh, and yeah. it will tell you that it does not solve all your problems. They say more money, more problems. But I think it's different problems. <laughs> yeah, more money, different problems, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'd be interested 
in seeing what those problems are like, though. Look, I'll give it a try. I think I could. I think I could. <laughs> I'll figure it out. I'll. Yeah, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. Really. Yeah. I'm up. I'm up for the task. I'll. I'll take that hundred million dollars. I'll figure out what's good and bad about having a hundred million dollars, and I'll report back. I'll yeah, report back. we'll do a we'll do a four episode arc on. <laughs> Where we just complain about being rich. People would be into that, right? <laughs> People would love to hear us be like, the valet brought me the wrong Lamborghini. Isn't that essentially <laughs> what keeping up with the Kardashians is? <laughs> it is. Yes. And that's worked like gangbusters for them, so. <laughs> yeah, they just keep getting richer. <laughs> You know how I brag about not having seen any of the Star Wars? I will also yeah. brag that I have never watched a single full episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I've tried out of curiosity and I've been like, I can't deal with this. I, but I will say that I know enough about it because I've seen clips, I've seen mm -hmm. memes, all the stuff, but I've never actually sat down and watched a full episode. And that's something I can be proud of i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can feel superior about that yeah and yeah. i haven't seen star wars so fight me well we rewatched phantom menace the other night you're not missing out i am becoming a menace by bragging about <laughs> <laughs> not having seen it oh man we gotta talk about some actual rich people yeah or what? yeah let's all right i think you're up so you go first and talk about rich people yeah, we'll leave our fantasies in the past for now, and we will set those aside for daydreaming while we're driving. So I am going to talk today about some silly ridiculousness that some rich people were getting up to in the 15th to 18th century, <laughs> because rich people have been getting up to some silly nonsense since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yep. this came across my feed, I think, probably as a meme or... Some kind of nugget. It was like a one-line thing. And I was like, oh, what? And then Googled it. <laughs> and it, it was just as ridiculous as I thought it was when it first popped up. So from the 15th to 18th century, wealthy estate owners, mostly in England, but occasionally in Scotland and Ireland as well, would build these huge estates, massive estates with large manicured grounds, landscaped. And then it sort of became popular for them to have a wild section of their estate, <laughs> like where the plants would grow a little bit wilder and they would let big trees grow and it started to seem ethereal. And part of that was that they would build what they called follies, which meant just miscellaneous buildings. These little, you know, cute little shed or a, a little, like a cave <laughs> and have moss growing over it. And it sounds lovely. Yes, exactly. Very serene, very walking through the woods and seeing fairies or whatever. And then they decided, you know what would really elevate this? What would really push it over the edge to be something special? A hermit. A real human person oh boy <laughs> to live in one of these little buildings and dispense folksy wisdom to my fellow wealthy visitors oh man how do i get that job it sounds great honestly <laughs> especially in the 15th to 18th century what other job are you doing hoeing dodging the plague <laughs> yeah 
You want to live in a cave by myself on a rich people's estate? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. People were decorating their estates with a real life hermit. They were usually like agricultural workers who worked nearby or on the and uh, someone would look at them and be like, you got the right stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And they'd pull in and they'd recruit these men and tell them, you can live on my estate in this little building, this little cave, but you've got to be my resident hermit. So that means no cutting your fingers or toenails, no cutting your hair. I want very minimal bathing. I want you to dress like a druid. So lots of robes, maybe some like a flower crown of some type. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Never shoes. No shoes. Okay. And I'm going to feed you. I'm going to care for you. Uh, I want you to be in character 24-7. So that means no talking to any of the other staff. But if I bring my buddies, if I bring my golf buddies... (laughs) Or uh, the board of my company (laughs) to come by. I want you to pop out and give us some of that hermit wisdom. Okay? It's like live action garden gnomes. (laughs) It it is. I saw it compared to like characters at Disney. Yeah. And that's kind of what it is. Like you're hired to be that you're going to be taken care of and everything. But breaking character is the ultimate sin here. Oh, man. You're providing an experience. You are a piece of the ambiance. And you need to really bring this corner of my property to life. It does sound fun, but how funny would it be if, you know, these people come and they throw rocks at the door and this hermit comes out. He's just so over it after like a year that he's like, welcome to the woods. Here is a riddle. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Now get like, I don't don't know. Like they just start to lose it. Just kind of like, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's rich I'm people. so over this job. Yeah. Uh, uh, they just like stick their head out and be like, happy wife, happy life. And then like shut the yeah. door. <laughs> like, just, There's your wisdom. Yeah. Never piss into the wind. You know? Don't eat yellow <laughs> snow. Done. <laughs> Call it a day. Where's my bread? <laughs> Some of these uh, people who were recruited to be hermits were not good at this job. <laughs> Just as you said, there was one famous one who had been recruited to come to this very well-known and wealthy estate, and he was paid, and they paid him up front 700 pounds, which is essentially $77,000 in today's money. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, but you're going to live here for seven years, and we'll feed and take care of you. You cannot leave the property. You have to look like gross after three weeks old boy was down at the pub stinking drunk (laughs) it's like you gave me all this money and then told me i can't leave or do anything what am i gonna spend this money on (laughs) look at this all right i'm already gross my hair is unbrushed my toenails are long and my bare feet are dirty i'm halfway there and i'm not even getting paid for it yeah he does some shit (laughs) You would look great in a cave in my backyard. Hey, dress for the job you want, you know? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That is what they say. <laughs> oh, man. So that guy bounced. Yeah. It was very hard to find someone who, because he tried to get that guy for a seven-year commitment. So they were like, I want to get my hermit. I want to them to really be into it. And I want it to be a long-time commitment. And people were like, 
sure, I'll get paid to do nothing. And then eventually they're like, this sucks. Yeah. So boring. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I don't, I want like a bed that's not made of sticks or <laughs> something, you know? So the whole idea of it, there's one professor who wrote a book on this and it was cited a lot in the like four to five articles that I read about it. The idea as to why, like what the appeal to this was, is kind of debated. And one article got really kind of whimsical about it. And I don't know about all this, but they talked about that it was a way to outsource their melancholy. (laughs) So they were able to like be wealthy and live the good life, but they weren't missing out on what was considered at the time to be a significant part of life, which was to sit in your melancholy and be contemplative and try to come into the wisdom of age. And these people were like, that sounds exhausting. I want to go do rich people shit. But maybe if I get one of these hermits here, I can outsource that and they can take in all this wisdom of age and I'll have that on my property and I can come visit him and he can teach me things, I guess. Uh, look, I'm too busy to be depressed. I'm going to hire a guy to do it for me. Okay. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> like the point of this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To like give them a sense of deeper purpose personally. And they compared it to like millionaires serving turkey to homeless people on Thanksgiving. Like, uh, I get to live the good life, but then I'm going to come down here and mix it up with the people who are really living in the nitty gritty. And then I also get to feel good about myself while I'm doing it. And then I go back to my sweet ass house. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting idea of it. I think that it was just not a huge leap to consider people as decorations Hmm. in that time period. You're already considering people as cattle and uh, work equipment and everything else, uh, why not decoration also? People have been property for eons. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. For the right price, you can convince a broke person to do anything. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the thing of it. Like one person did it and somebody was like, oh man, that's sweet. And then it just (laughs) spread. So hermits, Before they were considered decoration, they actually did exist, obviously, real hermits. Mm -hmm. In that time period, it was largely religious people. I mean, hermits exist now, right? Mm -hmm. They probably still do. I don't know if they go by another name. But uh, they were religious men who would go and live in solitude and gain the wisdom of that solitude and a deeper understanding and relationship with God. And then eventually people started to seek them out and then they lost the benefit of that isolation. Mm -hmm. And then it became kind of in vogue to get counsel from these hermits because they were considered so wise. And so royals and nobles would call them to their palaces to confer with them. And there were even some hermits who sat on council with multiple kings in France. I think it was Louis XI had a a well-known hermit come and sit and, you know, be part of his council because they were considered wise. It just, it reminds me very much of celebrities using gurus, you know, Mm -hmm. more like Eastern Mm -hmm. religious figures in that way, like, especially in the 60s. I think it's still happening now. But yeah, so the idea of 
hermits being valuable and wise, that predates them being decoration. Yeah. So I guess there's some... That can kind of inform it a little bit, too. Like, okay, I'm so powerful. I have my very own at-home hermit. So that makes me wise also Mm -hmm. because a hermit consults the king. So Yeah, I have him at my council anytime I want. And thus I can become wiser as well. Yeah. There were a few specific examples of certain rich people and how they had hermits, but one of them was a man named Sir Roland Hill, and he had a massive estate called Hawkstone Park in England. And it was a very big estate, and people would come and, like, tour it, even just kind of commoners or whoever. And he had a rustic house, and in this little rustic house, there was a table sitting in the front of it. You would come and ring the bell, and uh, sitting on this table was like a skull and some eyeglasses and some other things Mm -hmm. uh you know wise people shit Mm -hmm. and you ring the bell and this man would emerge and he had wild tangled hair and really long fingernails and toenails and he was barefoot and he was called the venerable barefooted father francis you really feel like they could have come up with a better name it is a mouthful. <laughs> I don't know. I'm in the venerable barefooted Father Francis. It's a mouthful. I would be the venerable barefooted Mother Shanda. Aren't you kind of already? Yeah, I seldom wear shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 100% on the definition of venerable, but I think I could be considered that in certain circles. <laughs> <laughs> So this guy, Father Francis, he would come up, he'd stand behind this table and he would, he was supposed to be uh, 90 to 100 years old and just incredibly wise. And he would give this wisdom to people. And one of his more famous things that he would recite was something that was written on the inside of his house. And it was far from the busy scenes of life, far from the world, its cares and strife in solitude, more pleased to dwell. The hermit bids you fly to his cell. He warns you, sends gilded baits to fly, and calls you to prepare to die. Oh, wow. It took a weird turn at the end there. (laughs) It sure did. (laughs) I read it a few times, and I think basically he's telling you, this hermit is calling you here so that he can share his wisdom about life because you will eventually die. And you need to have this wisdom before you die. Ah. Or maybe he's just a murderer. Yeah. Either way. Compelling as hell. Yeah. Yeah. So that guy, Father Francis, eventually he became a little unreliable. So this dude, Sir Roland Hill, built an uh, automaton. What is that? This is like the 17th century is... Like a a robot, like an animatronic. Oh, okay. But an early version of an animatronic that just like had a wig. It, and there was a picture of it in this article. It's clearly, it's just this like white wig slapped on some, like a, a mannequin mm. that would move its arms, I guess. I don't know. It was interesting to me that he had an automaton. He was like, I'm done with dealing with people. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is unreliable as hell. <laughs> Shockingly. But it did eventually, many of the rich people came across that and was like, dealing with real life people is a pain. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stage it to look like I have a hermit, but he just stepped out 
to go do hermit things. And so they would have their little shack and then they would have like sitting outside of it a book and a pair of glasses. Like the hermit just stopped reading to go pee behind a bush or something. (laughs) And so it gave the still like the feel, the ambiance. And then eventually they started putting in little statues And then those statues became popular and are still popular. Uh, And people have garden gnomes uh, now. I made the comment earlier in foreshadowing. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yeah. So it eventually went out of fashion as everything. And yeah, so now we've got garden gnomes. So if you keep hitting your garden gnome with your lawnmower and you're getting real sick of it and you want something that feels authentic... Find yourself somebody who will live in a cave in your backyard. Hire a guy. (laughs) Bring some of that 16th century mystique to your (laughs) cul-de-sac. Yeah, man. Yeah. So that is the ridiculous story of human hermit decorations. Love it. Super ridiculous. It was so fun to read about. Like I said, there is a professor who wrote a book. It's like the only book on this. (laughs) And so all of the articles I read referenced it. So I do want to mention it. So it's a man named Gordon Campbell, and he is a professor of Renaissance studies at the University of Leicester. Leicester? It's in England. There are a lot of I's and E's. Leicester? I don't speak English. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, one of them there, one of them there, uh, fancy schools cross the pond. <laughs> and the book is called The Hermit in the Garden, colon, From Imperial Rome to Ornamental Gnome. <laughs> so, yeah, that's everything I had about that and uh, rich people doing silly shit, man. Love it. Love it. Okay, well, we will take a break and then I'm going to hear about your rich people doing really silly shit. <laughs> All right, and we're back. So my wealthy person that I'm going to talk about is Mansa Musa. Ooh, real wealthy. Real wealthy. So for those of you who don't know, Mansa Musa was the ruler of the Mali Empire from 1312 to 1337. The Mali Empire consisted pretty much of the entire westernmost part of Africa. It's kind Mm. of the northern western part of what is today guinea senegal mauritania that whole region okay mansa musa was islamic and mansa means emperor leader king so that's Mm -hmm. what that translates into he was known for particularly early in his reign really expanding the borders of the empire Yeah. And the main reason being he wanted to connect his empire to other Muslim territories like those located in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Because he expanded and conquered neighboring nations, he was able to accrue riches and supplies and resources and slaves. But he also came from a very wealthy family. He came from oh, a family of... Trust fun baby. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> he came from a family of rulers that was already very wealthy, and then he was able to accrue even more through his yeah. conquerings. 
And so, of course, he had now resources, gold, slaves, etc. The main thing I do want to talk about, though, is his pilgrimage to Mecca. Mm-hmm. So Muslims need to take a trip to Mecca at least once in their lifetime, according to their religion. And Mecca is located in Saudi Arabia. Now, where Mansa Musa lived, that was a journey of 2,700 miles across northern Africa and into the Middle East. And he took that trip in 1324 through 1325. What was pretty amazing about this trip, for one, he was super excited about it. He's going to yeah. Mecca. That's awesome. And you know he's not he's not slumming it. He's not slumming <laughs> it. And he'd been preparing for this because during all his conquerings, he was gathering up slaves to make yeah. that trip comfortable for everybody. His entourage was impressive. People were talking about it everywhere he went. His entourage consisted of 60,000 men. Oh my gosh. How how do you how do you coordinate that many people like now? I know, right? You know, that's an army. Yes, and all of them were decked out in these fancy silken tunics and robes that had gold and silver threaded throughout and all these different beautiful, crazy, expensive things. 12,000 of those people were slaves. Mm. They, too, were decked out. Yeah. Each slave carried at least four pounds of gold. Four pounds of gold does not seem like a lot. Till you're walking across Africa with it. Yeah, till you're walking 2,700 <laughs> miles with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A newborn baby doesn't seem heavy until you've been carrying it all day long. <laughs> exactly right. They did also have beasts of burdens with them. Yeah. They had 80 camels as part of their caravan that carried anywhere from 50 to 300 pounds of gold. Oh, my gosh. Are there that many souvenir shops on the way? Yes, apparently. I'm going to buy so many personalized mugs. <laughs> I'm going to buy... I'm going to buy so many T-shirts that said I went to Mecca and all I got was this stupid T-shirt. <laughs> One for everybody. Yeah, that's crazy. Man, and that many people is like, how many did they lose Just who just like wandered off? Uh, yeah. And you're like, does everybody have their travel buddy? Yeah. Everybody paired up? Okay, let's do a count real quick. You start with one and we'll go down the line <laughs> to 60,000. We're, we're missing 8,000. Are they all in the bathroom? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so these camels were carrying essentially bags loaded down with small pieces of gold, like small nuggets yeah. and gold dust. And... Mansa Musa was very generous with all this gold. He was essentially giving it away freely to almost everyone he met along the journey. So, Except those slaves he was bringing along. Not them slaves, though. <laughs> but they had oh, yeah. fancy tunics that they were wearing. That's so. right, yeah. Yeah, so he's just he's just making it rain everywhere he goes. Pretty much. Every making small a lot of friends. Exactly. Every small town, every other pilgrim they met on the journey... Even when he went into big cities, he was giving away money. For example, they stayed a few days in Cairo, mm -hmm. and 
he just bought a ton of souvenirs. They restocked their supplies. They, like you said, making it rain. Anybody yeah. who asked for a nugget got a nugget. Like they just, <laughs> he had no qualms about just showering people with with money. What made me laugh is while I was reading this, I was thinking about that scene in Aladdin. That's exactly <laughs> what I was picturing. When I tell you I was waiting to be like, this reminds me of the song Prince Ali yes. in Aladdin where he's throwing out handfuls of coins. That's ridiculous. We are 90s kids. Okay. First of all, <laughs> Disney conveniently left out all the slaves Prince Ali probably would have had. So I don't know. There were a lot of miscellaneous characters in there. I think Genie poofed up some slaves to carry all that wish gold. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't royalty carrying all those golden camels and purple peacocks okay like, yeah <laughs> all those like trays of gold coins <laughs> that's so funny that that's exactly what i was thinking too. we need to look back at watch that scene and see if any of them kind of look discreetly like they could be slaves <laughs> oh i'm sure <laughs> yeah yikes Oh, man. Okay. If anybody else listening was also picturing Aladdin, <laughs> please send us a message. Yeah. Because we want to know if it the, this is just a best friend thing or if it's a whole generation <laughs> of us. <laughs> it's probably all of us. All of us 90s kids. So, yes, he was making it rain and people were loving him for it. There was a guy named Alumari. And he was a scholar and historian at the time. He called that caravan, quote, a lavish display of power, wealth, and unprecedented by its size and pageantry. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you want your road trips to be described as. Yeah. But part of it was he was doing that on purpose, not only because he was generous, but it was his way of flaunting his wealth. All along right. the route of, I am this great emperor. I have this huge ego. I am a great conqueror and leader. Look at all these people. Look at all this gold. Look how generous I am. Don't you want your country to be part of my empire? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the the scholar and historian, Alumari, he also noted that so much gold was given out in Cairo that its value throughout Egypt fell for over a decade afterwards. Whoops. <laughs> That's what I want. Okay, I amend my earlier statement about what I would do with a bunch of money. I want to get so much money that I can give so much away that it tanks an economy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes amazing yeah what collapsed the economy ashley and shanda's generosity <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's essentially what happened for a long time in egypt he essentially flooded the market with gold and now gold lost all its value <laughs> oh man yeah that's crazy so they did make it to Mecca, and apparently there was a little bit of drama that happened while they were there. So their caravan rolled up, another caravan rolled up at the same time. There was some harsh words said, some swords drawn. Yeah. And Mansa Musa kind of steps in and is like, all right, everybody chill out. We're at Mecca. Everybody be cool. And he kind of 
tamp down the drama, the tensions, if you will. And they carried on. Now, on the way back, uh, they ran into some trouble. They ran out of money. (laughs) Believe it or not. Yeah. No, you don't plan for the return trip. <laughs> yeah, he was giving it out so much in on the way there and while he was there that on the way back they ran out of money. And then bandits showed up and stole a bunch of their supplies. So they mm-hmm. actually had quite a few people who ended up dying from starvation and exposure. Oh my gosh. Now, they did have People helped them out on the way back, though, because they had been so generous on the way there. There were people on the way back that either gave them some gold back, so they did have some money, bought the souvenirs that they were willing to sell. Yeah. And people who just kind of gifted them supplies because it was like, hey, Mm -hmm. man, you are so cool for giving us all that gold. You know, thanks. This was kind of before the economy tanked, so they were still feeling good (laughs) about it. Yeah. Still feeling good about all that gold. But, uh, you know, a lot of people who they had been so generous with on the way there helped them on the way back when they were running into some trouble. So that was that was pretty cool. Part of the reason that we know all of this about him is while he was in Mecca, he recruited some scholars and writers to come back and pretty much write stories about him. Mm. And... Essentially, he met these people and was like, hey, I'm a pretty cool guy. I did a lot of cool shit. You're going to want to write about me. Please tell my impressive story. And so they did. And Alumari was was one of them. He essentially yeah. was like, yeah, I mean, this this guy's kind of impressive. Mm. Yeah. Not without his criticisms. Newsworthy at minimum. Yeah, exactly. In fact, part of the criticisms, one of the things I read was his family was kind of like, hey, um, look, I know you want to be seen as very generous and a likable, cool guy, but quit giving away all of our money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We don't do that. The reason we're so wealthy is because we keep it to ourselves. Please don't (laughs) give all our money away. So, yeah, he did get some criticisms, but generally he was kind of seen as a very generous and decent leader i guess Mm -hmm. if you can look past the slaves yeah so part of why this guy is so famous not only because of that story but he is believed to be the wealthiest person of all time wow of all time it's hard to really put a definite number on it just because i mean how, how how could you really know but It's not like he has bank statements. Right. Yeah. But it is thought that he was worth $400 billion. Billion with a B. And to put that into perspective, Jeffrey Bezos, his net worth is $142 billion. And Mansa Musa was $400 billion. It's hard to imagine that any's, anybody's going to catch up to that guy. Hmm. It is also estimated that on his trip that he had carried 18 tons of gold that was worth today's equivalent of 957 
million dollars. Just carrying it around. Just carrying it on the back of camels and slaves. It's crazy. How did they not get robbed more? Probably because they yeah. were just giving it out. Rob- yeah, Robbers came up, were like, hey, give us your money. And he was like, I was going to give you money anyway. So here you go. Like, <laughs> That's one way to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're probably like, oh, it's not as fun if I can't take it. I mean, <laughs> you're just going <laughs> to give it to me? Like, geez, okay. But yeah. So impressive dude. Ridiculous wealth. Not a super well-known. I mean, for it to have been that long ago, I suppose. But I, what I'm saying is that, like, it's not a household name. Yeah. And it it's very surprising that he's not a household name or a super well-known part of pop culture. Yeah. You know, in the zeitgeist or whatever. Because to be the most wealthy person to ever exist and then also to have taken this trip that was so large and important. Impressive and well-documented. <laughs> yeah, well-documented, especially for that time. Yeah. I wonder if it ever did come up in any of our like world history, but I don't remember ever hearing of him. I saw it in a TikTok. I... I saw it on Drunk History. I was going to say, I think you told me it was a Drunk History episode, which I don't know that I ever saw that episode, but... Yeah, Donald Faison plays Mansa Musa. It's a pretty fun one. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it is surprising to me that he's not a household name. Yeah. I wonder if he is in Africa. Yeah, I don't know. Part of their history, I'm sure. I'm yeah. Sure. Man. Rich people. I mean, if you think about it, though, our <laughs> in our small town Indiana high school, we did not learn much about world history. <laughs> I don't Everything remember Everything we learned from world history was from a teacher who was so boring that even me, who loves history, could not retain any information <laughs> that he said. I know. The he did teach he did teach that world history class. So that was so maybe that's it. Maybe he did teach us about it, but it was in one of the <sighs> classes where I fell asleep behind my books that was set up on the desk. I tell you what, he almost inspired me to become a high school history teacher, but for yeah. the wrong reason. <laughs> because I love history. We talk about history all the time on this show. We are almost yeah. a history podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Because we talk so much about these incredible stories. And that is pretty much what history is. It's all these really cool stories. And then when you put it in the perspective of these are the things that were also going on at the time, I love that aspect of it. But he did none of that. None of it. It was so boring. I know this is going to go over your head, but it, I think it'll relate to some of the listeners. This man was Professor Binns, the ghost professor from Harry Potter, who <laughs> in Harry Potter, the thing is that he taught until he was very old and then he died in the staff room and then his spirit just stood up and kept teaching class and had been teaching class for like 100 years <laughs> and didn't realize that it was that he was dead and was just so boring droning on and on <laughs> Uh, yeah. So that anytime I read about Professor Binns, I was like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But yes, I I don't remember learning about much of Africa at all, really, in world history. Yeah. 
I really yeah. don't know much about it. In fact, the only thing I really know is I read a James A. Michener book called The Covenant, and it was about mm -hmm. the history of South Africa and all of its colonization up to mm -hmm. a certain point. Uh, so it's yeah. less, it's more ancient history and less modern history. So yeah. I don't remember. I read it years and years and years ago. It was my first ever James A. Michener book. But have you read any Michener? It sounds familiar. Did he do any American history? Yes, he's done some. He writes historical fiction. And so okay. essentially what he does is he takes actual real events, but he creates characters that experience these events. Yeah. So the history portion is accurate. But the characters perhaps are not. Right. But they experience the real history and they meet historical figures and things of that nature. So he's technically classified as historical fiction. But I mm. love his stuff. I have, geez, right. I don't even know. I have at least 10 James A. Michener books. <laughs> They're huge, though. They're like yeah. <laughs> a thousand pages each. So I've only read... A couple of them. Actually, The Covenant was two two books, uh, part one and part two. And then he's had a couple of others. Like I read about the Canadian gold rush. And then there was something else that I can't I can't remember now. But those were shorter books. But I need to look yeah. and see if I have one. I know I have one about the Caribbean. I have one about Mexico. I have one about Texas. I have one about Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> I got distracted. I'm go I'm Googling James A. Mitchell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, it sounds familiar. I feel like I've read one of his books. Um, anyway, when you're not uh, making that to-be-read pile just <laughs> so high, just <laughs> stacked up. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where can we find you and, and keep up with what you've got going on? I will say that if I had lots of money... I would have a library like you've seen in Beauty and the Beast. Hell yeah. And I would spend a lot of my time when I'm not volunteering and saving the kitties and the children. I would be reading all those books. Yeah. In the meantime, though, because <laughs> I still do have to work and I have animals that need me to uh, pay the bills and feed them. If you want to see those animals, I like to make fun animal content. Nothing too heavy, nothing too serious. It's usually animals being silly. You can find us on TikTok and Facebook at Crimson Moon Farm. Or if you want to see more videos that are, some are silly and some are actually educational, <laughs> believe it mm -hmm. or not. <laughs> I do like to teach. Uh, you can find those videos along with recipes and products on our website, which is crimsonmoonfarm.com. But right. What about you? You got shows coming up? I do. Uh, I have some shows in August that I am excited about as of the time that this comes out. I'm always booking. I uh, hit up for a show earlier today, which is great. So I've always I'm always adding shows. So really the easiest way to know where and when you can see me do stand up comedy is to follow me on Facebook, Shanda Sung, Instagram, Shanda.Sung. I am also on TikTok and Twitter at Shanda S. Panda. And I post about everything I have coming up on those places. And you can also find 
the show, this show that you're listening to right now on Facebook and Instagram at Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. And we are also on TikTok at Passing Notes Podcast. So find us on all of those places. Reach out. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate and review it on your whatever you're listening to it on right now. Apple Podcasts especially. Uh, Give us a a little rate and review. We would appreciate that very much. And reach out. Tell us what you would spend ridiculous amounts of money on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What would you you buy? Would you buy the 10,000 square foot mansion? We won't judge you. Yeah. Would you save the children and the kitties? Yeah. Would you buy an entire trailer park and have a different member of your family live in every trailer? That's pretty cool. It's like a personal commune. I'm working on it. I'm trying. Maybe not family, <laughs> but friends. At the very least. Or a hermit. Yeah. Would you would you be a hermit if someone paid you enough money? <laughs> yeah, that's another good question. Yeah. So reach out, <laughs> contact us. We love hearing from you. And uh overall, above everything else, I hope you share this show with your best friend. Absolutely. And like every week, I want to thank my husband Tyler for helping us record and edit and produce this show. He is my sugar daddy, and <laughs> let's uh, let's get to work making more of that money. You yeah. Know? <laughs> you make it, I'll spend it. It's a good system. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> and of course, we want to thank you all for listening. This is episode 67. This was a fun one. I had a great time. Yeah. For Shanda Sung, I'm Ashley Morgan. Join us next time on Passing Notes with Ashley and Shanda. I was like very gestury out here. <laughs> me too. Like, don't hit your microphone. I know, me too. It is too hot for me to be flapping my arms around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when when you went up to go yell at the dog or the kids or whoever it was. <laughs> I was sitting here like this, kind of stretch it out, and I go, sniff my armpit and was like, oh I'm glad she's gone. She didn't see me do that. <laughs> and then I go and tell you about it. I don't judge. <laughs>